This is Black and Gold Rush, the podcast where we talk about all angles of New Orleans Saints football. I'm your host, Rachel Jones, and I've been a Saints fan all my life, so I know just how much this team means to our city, both as a former reporter and from my season ticket in Section 257. Whether it's breaking down game tape or telling an inspiring off-the-field story, I'm here for it because the Saints bring us together. Let's get going. What's going on, Houdat Nation? Welcome to a brand new episode of Black and Gold Rush. Thank you, Drew. Doesn't seem like enough. Drew Brees gave the Saints the face of a franchise they didn't have before March 14th, 2006. And 15 years to the day after he signed his first contract with the Saints, he announced his retirement on social media in tandem with his four children. No one outside of New Orleans even thought much about the Saints before Drew Brees and Sean Payton arrived. We were laughable losers, not perennial competitors. Thinking about all Brees has accomplished with the Saints the past 15 years can't just be about the numbers. But okay, seven division titles, their first NFC championship in team history. Three appearances total. And of course, Super Bowl 44. And then there's Drew Brees' surefire first ballot Hall of Fame career numbers. 80,358 passing yards. First all time. Five 5,000 yard seasons. 571 touchdown passes. Only Tom Brady has more. 7,142 career completions, most all-time. 123 300-yard passing games, also number one. And 172 career wins. That just scratches the surface. Believe me, we'll dig deeper into Drew's legacy in future episodes. This is just a day after the announcement reaction. Breeze and the Saints found each other at exactly the right time, in my opinion, and there's never been anyone more universally loved in New Orleans. A city brought to its collective knees by Hurricane Katrina had found a savior. Coming off his own career-threatening shoulder injury, Drew and his family embraced the city's people, and we embraced him right back. No one prepares for the game of football like him. You could see it on Sundays from the pregame huddle to him matriculating down the field on a two-minute drill to win a game. And I'm sure we'll see it in the broadcast booth as well. I literally cried this morning reading his opening, his open letter on NOLA.com as he thanked his wife, Brittany, and four children, Balin, Bowen, Callan, and Rylan. And also his message for young dreamers that I gravitated to. Now, I'm not incredibly young. I'm 32 and been married for almost three years. But reading Drew's lessons about winning at the game of life and possessing a growth mindset gave me chills. These are the reminders I need to challenge myself and continue to grow on my grad school journey here on my podcast and most importantly, in the relationships that matter with God and with my husband. 
I can't wait to tell my future kids that I got to see Drew Brees' first Saints victory in the Superdome when the Dome reopened September 25th, 2006, and Steve Gleason blocked the punt against Atlanta, and his last victory in the Superdome, the wildcard win over Chicago. I remember walking out of the, of the Dome that day with my dad and us wondering if we, that was going to be it for, for Drew as far as victories went. And sure enough, it was. But the bottom line was Drew Brees gave the Saints a chance every week. So what will it be like moving forward? We shall see. Sean Payton is still the head coach. And he had some beautiful words for his retiring quarterback, in part. For all of us that have had the chance to coach him, it has been our privilege, and we are better for it. Receiver Michael Thomas called Breeze his hero. So who will Thomas be catching passes from next season? Most likely Jameis Winston if the Saints re-sign him, or perhaps even Taysom Hill. Will the Saints look to the 2021 draft for quarterback talent? That's how we'll transition to this week's incredibly insightful guest, senior NFL draft analyst Jordan Reed of the Draft Network. He's worked to carve his niche in sports media, profiling draft prospects for more than just their talent on the field. I love that. You know I'm all about the bigger picture. Jordan's a former quarterback and assistant coach for North Carolina Central, and he was determined to stay connected to the game. And he faced his fair share of adversity. He was part of a coaching staff that was let go after a head coaching change. So we'll get into that, how he and his wife had twin girls less than two years ago, how that changed him as a man and what he's doing now at the Draft Network. You can find him hosting his own podcast, The Read Option, where his first interview was none other than ESPN's Kerr Curb Street. We've got the scoop on how that went down. I was so glad to connect with Jordan through podcasting, so I hope you enjoy our interview as much as I did and gain some insight on this year's draft as well. So let's dive in. Jordan Reed, welcome to the pod. It is great to have you. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, there's so much I want to talk about with you. The draft starts seven weeks from today when we're recording. But first and foremost, we want to hear about your journey from football player to coach, now a draft analyst. So take us back to the beginning, if you would. Wow, I don't even know where to start. So I'll just start from my childhood. Um, I was always that kid. I was always that kid that sat in front of the TV, wanted to know everything about basketball and football. Basketball was actually my first love. My dad got me started in basketball when I was four years old. I started in Little Hoops at the local YMCA. So basketball was always my baby in a sense. That was my first love. So I started playing football when I was nine. Um, My dad signed me up. He tricked me into signing me up at a local park. Uh, he wanted to, he didn't think I was very tough. So he said, man, I need to toughen you up a little bit. So he, he secretly signed me up for football, but it ended up being a blessing in disguise for me just because that's what I ended up going to school for. 
Uh, I was fortunate enough to get an opportunity at North Carolina Central University, mm-hmm. which is a HBCU in Durham, North Carolina. Everybody has heard of Duke before. It's about five minutes away from that. So I was there for, for four years and started quarterback there for three. Um, and then after that, I transitioned right into coaching. I didn't have any pro aspirations. I want, I got tired of taking those hits and I wanted to be the person <laughs> on the other side with coaching. So I was a graduate assistant for two years. I was fortunate enough to get my master's degree and then go right in into a full-time position at my alma mater after that coaching quarterbacks and running backs. So did that for three years up until 2018. Um, unfortunately, we were let go in 2018 after a coaching change. So that's just the side of the business. Everybody knows that college football, it can change in an instant. So um, I fell victim to that, unfortunately. And then at the same time, uh, I welcomed beautiful baby twins, girls into the world too. So life hit me hard after that. Uh, wow. I, I grew up as a man after that, me and my wife. Um, they'll be two years old in May. So um, after that, in 2018, I really wanted to figure out a way to combine my journalism background and then also how I could stay in the game of football as well. So I freelanced a little bit just talking about the NFL draft. And I wrote in the blog for about about a half a year up until June of uh, 2019. And then that's when I got discovered by the draft network and they gave me an opportunity to talk about the draft. And you now here I am in a full time position. So I kind of fell into the draft sphere. I didn't really plan on it, but the draft was something that I always loved going back to when I was little. I was that kid that sat in front of the TV. Like I said, mm-hmm. and my parents would just have to tell me, like, get out in front of that TV, like go play outside for some time. <laughs> so uh, I, back when the draft was two days long, I sat mm-hmm. and watched it every single day. So um, I think that was something that really helped me develop my love for the draft. And I wanted to figure out a way, like I said, to combine my journalism background with that. So here I am today. Wow. Yeah, I can totally relate. That was always a dream of mine. I went to school for journalism as well at LSU, and I could just always envision myself writing, broadcasting, whatever it was. I always wanted to be around sports. And I I read a a profile of you. You were called Mr. ESPN growing up. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, right. I mean, sports just have this this addictive quality about them that, that when you're passionate about it, you just can't get enough but tell me about when your when your twin girls were born in 2018 I mean how did that force you to I mean like like you said you you grew up fast I'm sure after that and then being involved in the draft network uh, everything came together for you but I'm sure you had to grow up quickly yeah and you know like I said it was a trying time so I think we got Mm -hmm. let go in I think it was December of 2017, if I'm not mistaken. No, December 2018. Sorry, that's when we were let go. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, my wife was pregnant. She told Mm -hmm. me we were having twins. So I was like, man, I got to figure out something to do. So unfortunately, I mean, fortunately, I was smart enough with my finances to save up some money to where I could take a risk of being able to freelance for about half a year. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just said, just be patient with me. Um, Everything's going to be okay. And, you know, by the grace of God, everything was. So uh, freelance for half a year. The girls were born in May mm-hmm. of 2019. And then I got a full-time job with the Draft Network that following June as well. Mm-hmm. So everything was moving very fast for me, as you could imagine. So um, just a fortunate opportunity for me. Uh, it, it involved a little bit of risk-taking and a little bit of luck as well. But, you know, they're walking and talking and they're running and jogging, climbing on everything <laughs> now. So <laughs> they're growing up fast. Oh, that's beautiful. So, um, 
when you were in college, you, you were part of the Allstate Good Works team, and that helped you land an interview for your podcast, The Read Option. Uh, your very first episode uh, was an interview with none other than Kirk Herbstreet. So describe for us how that experience impacted you and the lessons that he shared about working hard and following your passion. Yeah, so it was a I had no idea as far as the award. It was actually our sports information director that actually signed me up for it. And he surprised me when I actually won the award. I didn't know anything about it, but I did a lot of work in the local community. Um, I partnered with a lot of uh, elementary schools in the Durham area. I actually had a program. Uh, it was called Little Brother, Big Brother back then of where some of my teammates would go over, including myself, would go over to a local school about twice a week. And we would just go spend lunch with some of the kids. Um, I mean, you know, those kids, you're like Michael Jordan and LeBron James to them, especially those smaller kids. So I think that's something that I did a good job of with partnering with. We did plenty of other things around the, the campus as well. So community service is something that's always been near and dear to me. I love seeing other people positively impacted by others. You just never know how much of a touch and how much of an impact you can have on that individual just because you never know what's going on in somebody's life. So community service is something that has always been always been big to me. And we filmed everything that I always did. Um, I have plenty of videos from stuff that I've always did. And uh, his name is Kyle Serba, Central's um, Sports and Information Director. He's still there to this day. Uh, he, he bought cameras to everything that we did. He said, hey, man, we need to do something about that, about this. You need more notoriety mm -hmm. with this. So they surprised me. Uh, with the award at the elementary school that day. So that was a pretty cool experience. And, you know, being one of 22 uh, student athletes across the country to be, to go down to New Orleans, that was my first time ever mm -hmm. going to New Orleans. I had a blast. Um, I don't really remember the name of the high school, but it was where Peyton and Eli Manning went to school at. Um, well, New we, yeah, Newman, Newman. Yeah, Newman. Uh -huh. So we had a football camp there and there was, there was about 200 kids there. So that was pretty cool. We got a tour of the school as well. And then we actually went to the Allstate Sugar Bowl as well. So um, that's where I met Kurt Herbstreit. Uh, he actually, the night before he gave a speech at the, at the hotel and I kept in contact with him um, probably about two years after that. Uh, we kind of fell off after that, but we followed each other on Twitter and he did not remember me, of course, just because he meets thousands of people, uh, mm -hmm. I'm assuming a year. So, um, but when we talked about that on the podcast, he said, Hey, I know you look familiar. So he remembered me from that. So that was pretty cool to touch back on with him, but he, he's a great individual. Just like you see him on TV. He's the exact same guy in person. We've done a better job of keeping in contact to this day. Yeah. I listened to that episode. And I mean, that line where he's, where he said he himself looks in the mirror and still sees 1996 when, when he started on ESPN is really inspirational. I mean, the whole idea of never getting comfortable, whatever our successes come our way is really, really important and something that we can all learn from. So I'd encourage everybody to check that out. We'll link to it in the show notes. So the, but something that you touched on and that I want to piggyback off of is that you've uh, you enjoy highlighting players' skills on the field, of course, but also drawing attention to guys who do positive things off the field, you know, community service and the like. So, um, how has that helped you build relationships? You know, when you talk to guys during the pre-draft process and um, put together your your uh, 
evaluations and leading up to the draft every year? It's helped a lot. And, you know, I'm in a situation now where guys kind of flock towards me as opposed to them getting thousands of direct messages for interview requests. So that's something that I've been fortunate enough to, as I've climbed the ranks a little bit, guys, I've been able to develop better relationships with guys this year. Like we'll get into it a little bit later. Like I had JC Horn on my Mm -hmm. podcast, Gregory Rousseau was another guy, Micah Parsons, uh, some of these bigger name guys I've had on my podcast. And, you know, it's not just a relationship of where we're just interviewing each other and it's pretty much done after that. Now I've been able to develop a personal relationship with them just to get to know them a little bit better, just because I think where I try to differentiate myself a little bit from other evaluators in the media sphere is that I want to be able to paint the whole picture of a prospect as a whole. I can get on YouTube and I can type in JC Horn highlights and I can see what he does well and then what he doesn't do well. I can't see off the field that he's visiting local South Carolina elementary schools and having an impact on them that way. So little things like that is stuff that I've always wanted to dive into. So I wanted to get to know them with their helmets off as opposed to just with their helmets on because anybody can see them with their helmets on and know exactly what they do. But uh, the the positive light isn't always shined on them with their helmets off. So that's something that I've always tried to aim to do with my evaluations. Oh, I love that. Paint the picture of a prospect as a whole. That That's awesome. I'm all about that. So let's get into some potential draft fits for the Saints. After the flurry of recent moves, we can see some immediate needs that they could certainly choose to address in the draft. Now for me, Uh, cornerback and receiver immediately come to mind. Uh, So at corner, there's, there's JC Horn, obviously a familiar last name for us in the Houdat nation. His father, Joe was a, was a saints receiver. His son plays defense. Uh, So, and there's also Greg Newsom who you had on the read option podcast uh, just this past week. Um, Now um, let's start with JC Horn. What makes him so special? You touched on, um, everything he's done, you know, in the community in South Carolina. So let's talk about him on the field. What makes him so special and why are Saints fans salivating over him? Well, I mean, the correlation, the first correlation is obvious. He has Mm -hmm. the NFL bloodlines from his father, Joe, Mm -hmm. who was a very successful NFL receiver. And that time remembers the cell phone celebration. I remember watching that live when it happened, but yes, continue. I told JC if, if he still, if his dad still has that cell phone, he needs to bring it out on draft day and act like he's answering it. I think that would be hilarious. So that would be epic. <laughs> definitely. But uh, the NFL bloodlines is obviously the one that sticks out the most about him. But I just love the athleticism with him. I think that's another area that has carried over, obviously, with the genes from his dad. It definitely has trickled down, even though it's at a different position with JC playing cornerback and his dad playing wide receiver. You see a lot of the correlations between the two. I love the mindset that he has as well. He's a very confident individual, and you can really feel that even through the interview that we were having together. You just feel that confidence uh, coming through the screen with him, and I think that's something that definitely stands out the most about his game. So the NFL bloodlines, the athleticism, and just the confidence that he plays with, those are the three traits that I love about J.C. Owen. Awesome. And then we have Greg Newsom. So in your mock uh, 6.0, you actually had Newsom going 29th in the first round uh, to the Packers. Uh, so since the Saints actually uh, released Janoris Jenkins today, Thursday, what about Newsom to the Saints potentially one spot above? You see that? 
Yeah, it, it definitely is a possibility just because with them releasing Janoris Jenkins, they're going to need somebody opposite of Marshawn Lattimore. We know mm-hmm. Lattimore is probably going to request a hefty payday here very soon. Oh, no they, doubt. If they're able to figure out the cap room for that. So mm-hmm. um, I think they're definitely going to need somebody opposite of him. But Greg Newsom the second, somebody that definitely has been climbing the draft boards here over the past few months somebody that I've been enamored with going back even prior to the season. It's just a matter of him staying healthy. That was the biggest thing with him, but he definitely had a really good year this year. And you saw at the pro day, he put up phenomenal numbers too. So he's a prospect that is definitely ascending right now and still on the rise. Okay. So yeah, Greg Newsom, the second, uh, he, from your mock 6.0, he allowed the, the least amount of yards of any FBS corner that saw his zone targeted at least 20 times. So Jordan's got great analysis in his mocks. We'll have all these links for you in the show notes. So if the Saints were to go defense in the first round, maybe they go receiver in round two. So last week, Jordan, you had Purdue's Rondale Moore to the Saints with the 60th pick overall. Uh, with players like LSU's Terrace Marshall and uh, Florida's Kadarius Toney going several spots earlier in round two. I would definitely agree that the Saints uh, maybe not quite high enough to get Marshall or Toney, but um, do you think that that is probably true? Yeah, definitely. And we know the Saints are probably going to be looking for a receiver as well with them releasing Emmanuel Sanders. Now they're going to be looking for somebody opposite of Michael Thomas. And next year, they're going to need somebody to target out wide. So whether it's a Terrace Marshall, who would be a bit of a homecoming for him, being able to really stay in in state in a sense, uh, staying in Louisiana. So I think that would be a really good spot for him. Rondell Moore could be a viable option as well, which is why I mocked him there to the Saints in the second round. But also Kadarius Toney will probably go a little bit earlier than what um, the Saints are picking in the second round. So if he does slip, though, I definitely think I could see Sean Payton salivating over him and selecting him at that spot. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, you had Tony going uh, to the Lions, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So the um, the Saints have uh, five picks in the first four rounds uh, right now. Uh, they got the two third round compensatory picks and um, one sixth round compensatory pick. So they've got six draft picks total. Uh, so it it it's going to be. Uh, very, very interesting to see uh, what direction they they go. So, Mach 7.0 comes out when? Hopefully, no time soon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, so, so we're not going to get a sneak preview then of um, no, uh, no. Those no. things are those uh, things take a lot of time to put together. So, speaking of that, that's actually a perfect transition. Uh, uh, I've always wanted to 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 dig into the art of a mock draft. It's just describe to us, Jordan, your strategy behind putting the mock drafts together. Um, your most recent one even included trades. I mean, yeah. it just seems incredibly intricate. Uh, just talk about the strategy that goes into it. And, well, there's quite a bit, and mm-hmm. I'm the person that really likes to dig into teams' tendencies, uh, just, you know, just dissecting some things that they like to do, some things they don't do. Mm-hmm. There's some teams that like to take certain positions early, some posi- some positions that they like to take maybe day two or even day three. So I like to make it as realistic as possible, but every fan base, you're not going to make happy. And nobody, I shouldn't say nobody, but everybody's not going to be satisfied when you're talking about a mock draft. There's always going to be some people that pick holes in it. 
you didn't select my guy. I like this guy better than this guy that you picked. So that's the hard thing about mock drafts. And uh, people just have to understand that's just a scenario. Scenarios that we're thinking that may happen, of course, it's not going to be, you're not going to bat a thousand on these mock drafts. It's going to be something that's different. There's going to be some people that go way earlier. And there's going to be some people that don't go as early. So that's the tricky thing about mock drafts. But I do do a lot of study as far as uh, tendencies that I like to see teams do. I study tendencies that teams do or don't do. So there's a lot of research that go into these mock drafts and they take a lot of time to put together. That's something that a lot of people don't really understand. They think we're just writing names down on paper and then just releasing it out to everybody. I'm not a person that does that. No, but you're so right. Everybody's not going to be satisfied, but uh, the the research is is so important. It's so important. So on draft night, do you ever compare maybe your your first mock and your last mock and see how accurate they ended up being? <laughs> yeah, um, one of my colleagues actually did that last year, and I think I got like eight out of the first twelve picks right, which was like my my best ever on my last one, but. I don't really look at the first one just because so many things change and then sure. you're really you're basing everything off of what happened the season prior to. And, you know, some players don't take the next step in, the de- in their development while you have new names like a Joe Burrow come out of nowhere, a Zach Wilson come mm-hmm. out of nowhere that a lot of people really weren't uh, fond of early on in the process. Sure, sure. So, right. But eight out of 12 of the uh Eight eight picks out of the first twelve correct. I mean, quick math. That's you know, <laughs> batting six sixty seven. Not bad. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll <laughs> yeah, take it. yeah. So, um, so, speaking of you know the um, the 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 first draft picks were about seven weeks out. Um, so, do you see any scenario in which the the Jaguars do not select Trevor Lawrence number one? I would be. Very, very surprised unless he does something just like boneheaded off of the field, which mm-hmm. I highly doubt that happens just because he's very high character sure. and very mature as well. I don't see a situation of where they go any other direction. I mean, just looking at Trevor's pro day, Urban Meyer was basically in the huddle the entire time. So I would be surprised if he's not the pick. <laughs> but I saw that that uh, 31 teams uh or yeah, yeah, thirty-one NFL teams uh, had had uh, representatives at Clemson's pro day, uh, yeah. so they're still getting uh, the full the full uh, tour of, um, of of Clemson. So just to see, but uh, who's in uh, like a diamond in the rough? Maybe somebody that you know we're, we're hearing about all the quarterbacks that are that are going to go high. You know, not just Trevor Lawrence, but uh, Zach Wilson. You know, Justin Fields. Uh, the guy Lance out of North Dakota State, um, but who's a who's a guy that maybe uh, Saints fans have like never, may, maybe not never heard of, but who like nobody's really talking about that they should still keep an eye on. Yeah, so one of my favorite diamond in the rough players in a sense in this draft, his name is Jalen Darden. He's a wide receiver from North Texas. Uh, he's a very mm-hmm. small. He's about five foot eight, about one hundred and seventy pounds. So he's a bit of a smaller receiver, but. He was close to the top and leading the FBS in touchdowns a year ago. I think he had 19, and then he had over 1,500 yards receiving. Very electric. Reminds you a lot of Kandarius Tony coming out of Florida, uh, but I think he's much more polished as a receiver. So I think he could be like a Tommy Lee Lewis that plays for New Orleans, just talking about the excitement and the explosiveness that he brings to the table. So I think Darden definitely could be a sleeper. Maybe that you can get somewhere on day three, maybe like the fifth or the sixth round that could come out and be a productive player. 
Okay. So something to watch with that sixth round compensatory pick that the Saints got. Uh, interesting. Interesting. So, wow, man, I feel like we could, we could keep talking for, for a long time, Jordan, but uh, <laughs> the draft has so many angles to cover, but um, you were just doing some amazing things, both with your, your career and the community um, and your, your family, your story is just awesome. So I, Tell our listeners where they can connect more with you. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Jordan underscore Reed. That's J-O-R-D-A-N underscore R-E-I-D on Twitter. You can find my stuff at thedraftnetwork.com. We have plenty of things going on there. We actually have our positional rankings being posted, myself and my colleagues in the scouting department. Um, We have a mock draft machine that is very addicting. If you want to put yourself in the shoes of the Saints GM, And then also Sean Payton, if that's what you want to do, you can do all seven rounds, including with trades. If you want to get our premium membership, which I think is $30 a year, uh, very affordable. If you have the means, I I will highly encourage you to do that, especially if you're into the draft. But the great thing about it is that you can make selections, but you also can read about each pick individually as well. We have over 500 scouting reports already on the site. So that's just some things that you can find. You can also uh, read up on my podcast on the readoption.com. That's R-E-I-D option podcast. I actually have an episode coming up tomorrow talking about edge rushers. So if you're looking for somebody to possibly replace Trey Hendrickson, I yes. would highly, <laughs> I would highly suggest you listen to that episode. It's, it's very informative. Right, right. Trey Hendrickson, you know, um, and on the on the tackle side, the defensive tackle side, Sheldon Rankins may also yeah. test the market. So, right. A lot of questions to answer there as well. Uh, before we let you run, uh, any edge rushers, you know, that you wanted to highlight, you know, for, for Saints fans? Uh, well, there was one that had a good day today at his pro day and Joseph Asai from Texas. I think he's one that may be there for their pick in the second round, but with how well he tested today. Uh, I, I would highly doubt that he would be there for the Saints in the second round. So maybe there's a situation of they may trade back a couple of picks in the first round and then try to get him maybe like the early or mid 30s. I think that would be a good range to select him. So I think he would be a really good Hendrickson replacement. Okay, definitely. Yeah, we've seen Mickey Loomis not be afraid to to make a move for a player that he likes. So we are going to see Jordan Reed. Follow him on Twitter. Listen to the Reed Option podcast, thedraftnetwork.com. Thank you so much for your insights. Keep up the amazing work, Jordan. Thanks so much. No problem. Thank you for having me on, Rachel. Thank you so much for listening to Black and Gold Rush. Make sure to subscribe on the podcast app of your choice and leave a rating and review. Also, I'd love to connect more. Come say hey on Twitter or Instagram at RachelW504 and let me know what you thought of this episode. For show notes and more, head over to my website at rachelwjones.me. Until next time, oodah.